Welcome to today's stream. Super excited to see you here as always. Lots of big news as usual to cover in the cryptocurrency space. Mark Cuban has been hacked for nearly a million dollars with the cryptocurrencies. I want to talk about what's going on with Bitcoin, what's going on with Ethereum a year now after the merge has happened for Ethereum. What have been the actual on-chain results for this? It's pretty surprising results. Also some macro stuff to cover because of course we have to cover some macro stuff. Macro has been uncomfortably important during this entire market cycle. Of course, quick shout out to everybody joining this on the live stream, whether that be here on YouTube or over on X. And of course, shout out to everybody listening to this later on the podcast on Apple or on Spotify. So, so I think we just jump straight into this and let's talk about the price of Bitcoin. One of our favorite topics, of course, here in general, in life, we love talking about the price of Bitcoin. What's it doing these days? Well, let's take a look and see what the price of Bitcoin is doing right now. So very interesting stuff here. We're going to take a look at the daily and then we're going to take a look at the weekly. And I know Pew Pew Tube, see in the chat there, I know the price action has been pretty damn boring recently. Still though, there is something to talk about with the price action. So I do want to mention that real quickly. Now we are in the process of potentially confirming that bearish cross, that death cross here for Bitcoin, as we see the 50 day EMA about to slip under the 200 day EMA. Not amazing. Generally not a great sign to get a death cross. I mean, who would have guessed from such a lovely name like that, right? Regardless, Death Cross could almost be here, not confirmed yet, but almost here. When that happens, not great, but keep in mind that this is not a super clear signal. It doesn't 100% mean there's going to be a massive breakdown in the price. Could, but doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes these are quite short-lived before a new rally comes in. I mean, imagine if we got news that the Bitcoin ETF was approved next week, it would, of course, very quickly invalidate any Death Cross that came through. Right now, we're also seeing the stochastic RSI looking a bit topped out here on the daily. MACD is still trending up for us on the daily. So, hey, at least we have some signs of hope here in the markets. And of course, what did really all of this recent price move mean? Where we saw the price rally from the 12th of September up until the 15th of September. Basically, another failed rally, a failed attempt to get back over those key moving averages and to conquer back over key areas of price resistance didn't work out this time, unfortunately for us. Let's zoom out to the weekly here. Might get a better view on what is going on here to an extent. Now, the weekly paints a very different picture in some interesting ways. You see, on the weekly, we are still trading above the 200 week exponential moving average. In fact, for the last five weeks, ever since the major sell-off back in the second week of August, for the last five weeks, we have seen the price of Bitcoin dip under, dip under this key moving average of the 200 day EMA. And each of those times, the weekly candle body closed above the 200 day or 200 week exponential moving average. So we saw wicks under it, but it wasn't sustained. We saw buyers step in and push the price back up. Last week's candle was a 
bullish engulfing candle. It's got some pretty nasty wicks on. It's not as clean as I would love it to be, but we did see a significant reversal from those very, very tight range candles that over the last few weeks have really typified. Now, of course, we had that big fat red candle back in the second week of August, where the price of Bitcoin fell from about $30,000 down to about $25,000 in a week's time. That was a fun week. The next three weeks, the closing and opening price of Bitcoin was no more than a couple hundred dollars per week in spite of some pretty big price volatility throughout the week. The weekly opens and closes were only a few hundred dollars apart. Pretty wild lack of volatility if you look at the weekly time frame in spite of those wicks on the candles going up or down in either direction. So we did see a bit of price action picking up here, but nothing of great significance, to be honest, at this point. And I'd really like to see us retaking the 50-week exponential moving average, which, of course, is right here around $27,000, which is where those daily moving averages, of course, are also lining up. One silver lining here, I suppose, for us on the weekly, the stochastic RSI currently putting in a bullish crossover. Well, it actually happened last week. We'll see how that plays out. But noteworthy, let's call it that. So I like this one as well. Here's what you need to see the prices of our crypto assets go up, of our magic internet money go back up. You need more money in the market. You need more people to bring their money in, dump it into whatever your favorite asset might be, and then the price will go up. It's a pretty simple concept. Patrick Scott here. On X pointing out the total market cap of all stable coins has increased on a 30-day time frame yesterday for the first time since April 2022. Cool. If you blink on that chart here, you're gonna miss it. It's a very, very modest increase at this point. But at least money's not fleeing the market. Knock on wood, currently. But it is nice to see we need that money to come back into the market in a significant way in order to see the prices of our assets pump up right now. It's just a slow kind of boring accumulation phase of the market. And I know that's actually a very difficult phase in the market for a lot of people because it's easy to get, you know, just washed out either by chasing scam coins or over leveraging because, well, I know the market's not very exciting. If I use 50x leverage, then a 2% move is going to get me some really big gains. Yeah, but then if 2% move to the downside, is going to totally liquidate you. So be careful. Remember, of course, if you are using leverage, keep it to a minimum. You don't need huge leverage. Leverage is an extra tool to juice up your gains a little bit, but it doesn't have to be used to squeeze yourself out of future profits. Still, though, nice to see a little bit of money coming back into the markets here. I also want to share this with you. I thought it was pretty interesting. So this is from Octavio. And Octavio says that treasuries are no longer the safest asset. This is actually quite, quite interesting. He said, in fact, for the first time in 45 years, U.S. treasuries now have higher downside volatility than gold. This is undeniably crucial. The shifting dynamics of capital moving away from crowded equity and fixed income holdings as investors seek new investment opportunities could have profound implications on financial markets. This is where gold commodities and overall hard assets are poised to play a significant role during the transition phase from traditional 60-40 portfolios. Now, of course, there are some there are some big assumptions in all those statements there, but I think the fact is quite interesting that U.S. Treasuries are now more volatile than gold. That really tells you a sign of the times economically, and it's something that we have not seen in a very, very long time. 
First time in 45 years. Think about that. That's crazy. And of course, what is one of the hardest assets of all? It's Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. Bitcoin, of course, is the answer to that question. Very interesting, though, to see U.S. Treasuries becoming actually such a volatile asset class. And it's unsurprising with so much money trying to chase after these uh, treasury assets right now. It's not that crazy. I want to share this one as well from the Rational Roots Supply held by long-term holders. 75.8% Bitcoin holders are made differently. People are looking at this and they're thinking, why would I sell my Bitcoin right now? And look, I think one thing needs to be cleared up in investing in general, and that's sell shaming. If you sell your Bitcoin or your Cardano or your Ethereum or your what I don't care what it is. If you need money and you need to sell, you need money and you need to sell. If you're massively in profit and you want to take profits, you can take profits. Don't let the diamond hand memes influence you and make you think overly greedily and not take profits when the time comes. Not saying you have to sell everything. As I laid out in my selling plan recently in the Premium uh, Wealth Mastery newsletter, I went over the idea that, well, I'm probably going to sell all my altcoins next cycle. Don't see a massive utility in holding a lot of them down into the ground once again. And in terms of Bitcoin, I'm going to sell some of my Bitcoin too, which might just explode certain people's brains. However, I'm going to do it. Not all my Bitcoin. I want to keep some of my Bitcoin. I'm going to keep about two-thirds of it, probably. Sell about a third of it. Probably rebuy when the market bottom comes in. Still, though, nothing wrong with shaving a little bit off. Because at the end of the day, unless you're planning on simply taking your private keys to your grave, well, then I guess we can thank you for your sacrifice because you're taking a bit of Bitcoin out of circulation, which makes the rest of Bitcoin more valuable for everybody. So thanks for that. But realistically, at some point, you're probably going to want to realize profits on that somehow. Maybe you want to borrow against that. But if you borrow against it, you still have to pay back the loan. It's not straight profits when you borrow off this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Nevertheless, seeing uh, all-time high for long-term holders at 75.8%, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, who is selling their Bitcoin before BlackRock gets a Bitcoin ETF? Who are these people? And again, everybody's got a reason for selling. Don't want to sell shame anybody. It's just a question. Just a question. You must really need the cash. And look, a lot of people need the cash right now. We see uh, in U.S., for example, I'm sure this is the uh, same across many developed economies, savings have gone from $2 trillion down to $200 billion. People are expected to be, quote unquote, broke by the end of October. Some of that money has been moving, of course, into money market accounts. That's not accounted for in that conversation and those statistics, but still, it's going to be true. Still, though, credit card debt surpassed a trillion dollars. Auto debt, all this kind of stuff is soaring. So some people will need cash and they will need to sell their Bitcoin before BlackRock gets a Bitcoin ETF. And a lot of those people aren't going to want to do it. And it sucks if your hand is forced like that. I've had my hand forced to sell Bitcoin before at inopportune times and it's not great. So if that's you, just realize there's always a chance to stack more sats in the future. Okay. And I know it's when you see all this stuff, you're like, ah, oh, Bitcoin and BlackRock and... Yeah, I know, you know, we all know. But man, if you got to pay the bills, if you got to feed your kids, you got to do it. So let's let's not sell shame people here, guys. Come on. Uh, 
Nick saying, seems like he thinks he can time the top. What a fool. I don't think I can time the top. That's uh, that's a hold on for dear life will pay off greatly in 10 years. I agree, Nick. That's why I am going to hold on to the majority of my Bitcoin. However, I will take some profits on the next run and probably reinvest a certain amount of that back into Bitcoin during the next bear market. Not everybody necessarily needs to do that. I've held Bitcoin through multiple cycles now. Some of the Bitcoin that I hold today is Bitcoin that I acquired in the last bear market and before that in the previous bull run. So I'm, I'm doing okay on my Bitcoin holdings here. And I know that Bitcoin will be worth more in 10 years. That's why I'm holding the majority of my Bitcoin. And when it comes to altcoins, as we know, most altcoins will go down dramatically in price when the next bear market comes. Some of the top ones are going to do better than others. Ethereum, for example, is going to go down by 70%, where others are going to go down by 90%. And a lot of them are going to go down by 99.99% and never to be heard from again. That's why I'm going to be selling my altcoins. All of them. I'm not going to hold any altcoins into the next bear market cycle. Current plan, anyway. Um, when it comes to Bitcoin, I will be keeping a large stack of Bitcoin for that exact reason, because I'm taking a long-term view on Bitcoin. But within that, I can still play around with some of my money. If you want to do something different with your money, well, that's the great part about investing. You get to do what you want. I get to do what I want. And it's fantastic. And remember that to everybody listening. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. Right? You don't have to listen to people on social media tell you that you can or you can't do this. At the end of the day, it's your money. And everyone's going to have different requirements at different times, different uh, prospectuses on how they're building their wealth, how they're growing their wealth. Maybe you're going to take that you know, you're going to sell some Bitcoin in the next cycle and you're going to take that and you're going to start a business that's going to make you way more money or bring you way more joy and happiness in your life and let you get away from your regular job and do something that you're more happy with. There's a whole bunch of equations that go beyond simply just, I'm going to get super rich by holding my Bitcoin forever. Yes, yes, I agree with that. I'm, I'm all about holding Bitcoin for a very long time. I've got a long-term time frame on the majority of my Bitcoin holdings. That doesn't mean that there aren't other things out there that can be done with your money. That's my opinion. Anyway, you guys, of course, can have your own opinions on that. And it's a personal question for everybody when it comes to finances. Now, before we get into the Ethereum news, the macro news, all that kind of stuff, just a quick note. If you're not on Bybit yet, you got to get yourself an account, man. It is the best damn place for trading cryptocurrencies. If you want to do futures on Bitcoin and Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, all the top coins, they got you covered. You want to start trading some exotic spot altcoins? They got you covered for that too. It's one of the biggest spot altcoin markets in the world. Copy trading, they got you covered. And use that link in the description to start your account. You can get up to $30,000 in trading and deposit bonuses, depending on how much you deposit, how much you trade. Plus, you also get exclusive fee discounts. So check it out if you are a cryptocurrency trader. Now, let's look at the Ethereum chart. So, 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 Ethereum, not holding up quite as well as Bitcoin currently. I know I got a lot of things going on this chart here, but short-term drown trend in place since the 14th of July. We had an attempt to crack out beyond that in the last few days. That attempt has failed unfortunately we'll see eth recover one of these days we are also seeing ethereum putting in a bearish crossover the 50-day ema has fallen below the 200-day ema so eth being a little bit more volatile and bearish compared to bitcoin at the moment here again a bearish 
death cross does not necessarily mean the price is going to drop at 50% or something like that. These death crosses, especially when they come in uh, lower in the market cycle, or certainly where we are right now, maybe not as valid of a signal as a death cross that happens after like a 500% rally, for example. Now, interesting to point out here as well, one of the big things with Ethereum that I'm kind of keeping an eye on is this super, super mega giant triangle that has been forming up here. So basically, if you really zoom out on ETH, you can see that ETH is basically forming this big old fat ascending triangle starting all the way back mid last year. And if it continues to range within this triangle, it could actually go into mid next year. We'll see. We'll see, of course, how that plays out. But we need to see ETH breaking beyond $2,000 to really have a breakout here. And if it does break out beyond this massive formation that's currently in, it could send the price of ETH on a technical target up to around 3 k But much like what you see with Bitcoin, Ethereum, man, you know, not that crazy at the moment price action-wise. And... What is interesting, though, what is interesting is that we are seeing the effects of the merge really, really starting to play out. And I want to talk about that with you a little bit because I think it's super, super fascinating. So a year ago, has it been a year already? Yeah, it has. A year ago? Well, something very, very interesting happened. The merge happened. So that was essentially the merge of the beacon chain and the, and the proof of work chain into one. There's no proof of work chain anymore. Has not been for a year now. So what have the results of Ethereum moving over to proof of stake completely? What have they been? How have things been going? With the reduction, the 90%, the so-called triple having the 90% reduction in emissions that the merge brought in, along with fee burning. Well, very, very interesting. So since the merge, we've seen a 0.245% drop in the supply. So Ethereum has, by and large, been deflationary for the last year. There have been moments when it's been inflationary at the start. And actually, if you look at the daily charts for this, we have seen minor inflation coming back into Ethereum over the last few days. You can look at the last seven days to get an idea of that. In fact, currently we're up to 0.169% inflation if you look at the seven-day uh, time frame here. But if you're looking all the way back since the merge, generally the supply has been going down. In fact, this is very interesting. Current supply of Ethereum, 120,223,000. Now, at the current burn rates over the last year, we have burned 977,000 Ethereum. It's a pretty big number. The issuance during that time has been 681,000 Ethereum. So the total offset here has been a supply decrease of 297,000 Ethereum. Pretty big number. Pretty impressive number. That is during a bear market. That is when on-chain usage has generally remained pretty low. I mean, we've had a few days where, you know, I've had to pay 20, 30, 40 bucks for a Uniswap transaction. But most of the time these days, a Uniswap transaction costs a few bucks. Cool. But that also means that there's not massive use on the chain right now. 
but that massive use will come back. We will see more Ethereum burnt over time. But I think it's encouraging that one year in, that year was a bear market, by the way, one year in, we've actually seen 300,000 ETH permanently taken out of supply, out of uh, circulation. So pretty impressive. I like it. Well done, Ethereum, for uh, successfully pulling off the merge and having that uh, EIP-1559, which is the burning mechanism, the perpetual stock buyback mechanism, if you like to think of it like that, being very, very successful. So I dig it. That's great. Now, this is something I want to share as well. I saw this news floating around, and I was actually pretty blown away by it. Um, so this is for Off the Grid. Now, Off the Grid is a crypto game, a Web3 game. Uh, it's being developed by a very talented team of developers. It's got Neil Blomkamp behind it, who is the guy behind District 9. I mean, if you see the trailers for this, it's like, yeah, the dude who made District 9 definitely is the creative director behind this, without a doubt. I do need to mention as well, I'm a private round investor in Off the Grid. And you can see my full risk and disclosure statement in the description of this video. But I invested in it because I think it's freaking awesome. So there you go. But check that out if you want to know more about my risks and disclosures. You'll find a link to that, of course, always in my pinned tweet on X or in the description of any of my videos on uh, YouTube or Rumble or in the podcast. So you can always find that information there. Now, what's crazy and why we're talking about off the grid today is that there was a battle royale game between three of the top Web2 gaming creators. Now, this is pretty, pretty interesting. So uh, it's DR Disrespect, Clicks, and Imperial Hal. I have no idea who these people are, except that somebody else is telling me they're pretty damn big creators. Now, what's interesting is that that YouTube video of these guys, these big Web 2 gaming streamers playing a Web 3 game, has got 1.5 million views that's pretty interesting people are paying attention and i know there's been a a bit of lack of acceptance from the web 2 gaming space to web 3 games but that's because a lot of web 3 games have sucked if we're being honest right we do need to see these web 3 games stepping it up and having great gameplay and fun features and all this kind of stuff so this is pretty interesting. Off the grid. Go watch the trailer or something for off the grid one of these days. It's pretty damn interesting. Um, a game without a doubt. I liked as well these thoughts here from Coop. He said, uh, the West has completely lost hope in Web3 games. Yesterday, three of the biggest battle royale streamers in the world began promoting Web3 game. Off the grid. Web3 response at best crickets at worst critique. This is going to be the best normie marketing for a Web3 game yet. This game is going to have an amazing user experience via an Avalanche subnet. By the way, shout out to Avalanche, one of my other investments. They've got uh, this game building on an Avalanche subnet. So I like that as well. Super, super cool to see my investments coming together, playing together. It's super awesome, man. Going to be an Xbox, going to be on PlayStation. Think about that. A Web3 game using crypto tokens and NFTs. It's going to be on Xbox and PlayStation, and it's being streamed by the biggest streamers because it's actually a good game. Look back at some of the crypto games that have existed, and a lot of them are just crap. Yeah, I know. We pumped their tokens, and things went crazy, right? Yeah, I know. I know. And I invested in a lot of different um, crypto games over the last few years, and a lot of them have turned out 
not very well. But this is one that I remain quite optimistic on the future of. So we shall see how that uh, how that plays out. But what you really need to get your average gamer involved in Web3 gaming is a good game. That's all it comes down to. I know it sounds crazy, but if you build a good game that's actually fun to play, people might play it. Wild. Anyway, congratulations to Off The Grid for getting a bit of attention from the uh, Web2 creator space. Next, I want to share this. I, this just blew my mind, honestly. Can Paul Krugman be any more out of date with reality? Probably, yes. I'm sure he can be. He seems to have been pretty much out of touch with reality for a long time now. Uh, Paul Krugman, the man who, wasn't he the guy who said that uh, the internet was not going to be any more important than the fax machine or something like that? It's just, you know, this dude's basically got everything wrong forever. Apparently he got a Nobel Prize because that's the kind of person they give Nobel Prizes to. Nobel Prize, come on, what a, what a. <sighs> anyway, besides the point, old Paul Krugman here pointing out that, uh, hey, look, he says, there's an inflation update. In the past, I've focused on a measure that excludes shelter, used cars, food, and energy. What? <laughs> what? So if we just exclude the most important things for human life, yeah, you know, so long as people don't have a place to live, let's just not talk about the place to live and your cost of your rent. Oh, food? You need food? Get out of here. That's ridiculous. Energy. What, you need to have lights to work? Come on. Come on. Toughen up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't need food. You don't need energy. You don't need a place to live. All you need is fentanyl and a bridge to live under. That's it. That's your diet. That's your existence. Show up to your Amazon fulfillment center and be fulfilled. It's hard to imagine how out of touch some of these people are. I mean, it's just... What? Anyway. Obviously, Paul Krugman is horribly wrong. You cannot look at inflation data and completely exclude the literally most important parts of inflation for average human beings. Someone like Paul Krugman may have never had to grow up in a, a single mom household on food stamps where if you get a flat tire in the car, that's a crisis it's a crisis event for the family. Sorry you're not getting any new clothes this semester for school, kid. Here's some stuff from the secondhand shop, and kids are going to make fun of you in school for it. And This person, Paul Krugman, has not had to live that life or has not lived that life in such a long time if he ever had to live such a life at all that he has no idea what it's like for the average person right now in whether it be America or Germany or probably China, wherever people that are suffering from inflation, people that are suffering from the reality of trying to make ends meet on stagnating wages. Well, prices of everything are continuing to go up all the time. Paul freaking Krugman, man, this guy. Now, here's another great one I want to share with you. End of Paul Krugman rant. Let's talk about this. This chart here is a shocker. And let me describe the chart here in case you're listening to this on the podcast. So Phil back on X asks with all sincerity, what is the game plan here? So this chart 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 shows America's finances. Now it's very, very worrying because America's finances 
Not looking super awesome at the moment, to be honest. The deficit is massive. The revenue is declining. The deficit is up this year. The revenue is down this year. And the debt, the debt, oh my gosh, the debt, it just, it, it's such a big, big number that the revenue is a tiny little blip in comparison and the deficit substantial growing going up also a blip by comparison we are seeing america's debt increase by trillions of dollars a year it'll probably increase by 2 trillion plus over the next year 1.6 trillion dollar budget deficit but that budget deficit is going to keep going up dramatically because the interest on the debt's going to be refinanced and have to be paid at a much higher level it is crushing $33 trillion in debt, man. You answer this for me. How do you pay $33 trillion in debt? And that's today. That's if they stopped everything today. It'd be $33 trillion. By the time anybody even thinks about how do we actually tackle the debt problem, which I haven't heard any political people really having a solid plan on how do you tackle $33 trillion of debt? Because you can't. You can't. How do you do that? I don't know. I have no idea. I can't see any real possibilities for this beyond... a complete default of the United States government and an inability to repay the debt and writing it all off and completely crashing the global economy. Maybe that's the plan for the Great Reset. Maybe this is what they want to do. They're just going to keep running up the debt and running up the debt and running up the debt and running up the debt until it crashes. And then they bring in central bank digital currencies as the bailout. Look, I know we screwed up before, but here's central bank digital currencies. They're here to save you from the crisis. That we manufactured, by the way, but it's still here to save from the crisis. And people are going to be so desperate, they're going to line up and accept it. They might as well just throw the microchips in there by that point, man. Microchip, everybody. Here, it's just so easy to spend my central bank digital currencies with the microchip in my wrist. My mom will have been right about everything since the 90s. Ay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that debt is a monster. And it's becoming a real problem for the United States and the global economy more broadly because if the United States has economic problems, everybody has economic problems. And look, can they can they just print $33 trillion? And again, by the time they actually start dealing with this, it could be $50 trillion. It's supposed to be $50 trillion by 2030. Print it away. Print your problems away. Well, in that situation, the average person holding U.S. dollars is going to have their money so deeply debased that the U.S. dollar becomes like, you know, Venezuela money. Think about how much they would need to print and the impact of printing that. Look what happened when they printed, like, what, they printed 4 or $5 trillion during the whole uh, Mexican beer crisis. And look what that did. That caused massive problems in inflation. And for the regular person whose wages still have not really gone up, What's going to happen if they try to print $40 trillion? Nothing good. They can't raise enough taxes. It'll crush the economy. Revenue's down already. It's a real problem. And I know that no matter what happens, BlackRock's going to win. JP Morgan's going to win. Goldman Sachs are going to win. The Federal Reserve, whoever, the people behind, really, the elites, the deep state, these are the players who are actually going to win out of this because they will roll out CBDCs. And I really think it's the perfect opportunity for them to do that. Uh, you know, I worry 
sometimes about the future for my children. What kind of world is this that's being built here? It's crazy. Anyway, let's now talk about Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban has lost $870,000 in a hot wallet hack. He says he doesn't know how he was hacked, but yeah, he got hacked. Interesting um, amendment to that story is that apparently, apparently, he got um, $2.5 million that he had sitting on the same wallet, but for the Polygon network, moved over to Coinbase, uh, I think Coinbase, safely. So he didn't lose everything. That's a positive. We like that. That's good. I'm glad he didn't lose everything. But man, oh man, oh man. It's crazy. If you're a regular person in crypto, the odds are so stacked against you when it comes to everything. Nine out of 10 altcoins are going to go to zero. Nine out of 10 altcoins are probably just not going to do very much. One out of 10 altcoins will 100x. Can you hold it for that 100x? Probably not. And if you do hold it for 100x, you put all your money into Ethereum and Bitcoin and stable coins, you're going to get hacked. You're going to try to get something one day. You're going to approve a bad smart contract. All your money's gone. Crypto is still at the early stages of, you know, uh, pioneership, if you will. It's like the Oregon Trail. A lot of people are going to die of dysentery. I used to love that game back in the day. Loved when our computer teacher let us play that game instead of doing actual computer stuff that would be important for our future skills of computer nerds. But anyway, a lot of people are not going to make it because you're going to screw up a million different ways. And it's just a reminder. You have your hard wallet where you keep things that you just don't interact with stuff with. You have your hard wallet, you put your Bitcoin there, you put your Ethereum there, and that's just like you protect that passphrase like no tomorrow. You don't play around by putting uh, new contracts and stuff on top of it. No, 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 no. That's, that's just your cold source, your vault. If you want to play around with different contracts and stuff like that, that's what you can use your hot wallets for. You don't have to have your life savings and you put 500 bucks worth of ETH or something in there and then play around with stuff generally advisable uh, a way to do it because the truth is is that even the best people vitalik vitalik he got his uh, x account hacked last week two weeks ago whatever crazy stuff man you got to be careful with your security in general online but certainly whenever it comes to using magic internet money because once those coins lose your wallet that's it they're gone they're gone end of story be careful out there guys take your security seriously one thing I always say is that for you, simply being in crypto is probably just a, a hobby, a part-time investment thing, whatever it might be. But there is someone whose full-time job is trying to steal your money. So be smart. Be careful. Don't fall for phishing scams. Don't send money to BS giveaways. Send us one Bitcoin. We'll send you back too. No one's doing that, especially not Elon Musk. You know, Vitalik Buterin, Mark Cuban, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, they're not sliding into your DMs on Instagram. They don't want to help you with your trading. I know it might be a surprise for some of you guys, but that's not true. It's not them. You got to be careful. You have to be careful. Remember, it's someone's full-time job trying to steal your money. Be careful. Be careful.